Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to us and how you're listening to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast a part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Hope all of you are well and safe out there. And how are you, my man? Hanging, dude. I'm hanging. Just, uh, you know, squeaked out a couple fantasy wins this week. My Jets took a tragic loss to the evil Patriots. And, uh, you know, just, just football being football this weekend, man. Yeah, good good week for me, you know. Good, good week for me. Well, on both fantasy, you know, listen, a certain team is leading a certain division, but we'll 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 cross that bridge when we get there. You're talking about you, um, your leader. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had an integral role in making sure the Falcons. I, 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 you know, I was told to keep it, you know, covert for, you know, for legal reasons, but, but we'll 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 cross that when we get there. But let's start with let's start with college football. Uh, the first edition of the college football playoff uh, came out that has Tennessee at one, Ohio State two, Georgia three, Clemson four, and the the last two teams out or the first two teams potentially in, Michigan and Alabama. Now, I'll just I'll I'll just share my thoughts and then here and then I'll share some on the back end. I, I think what's interesting, Chris, and is is. I think the committee got it right, but I think there's one team for me that's debatable. It's, oh, I was it's fifty-fifty. That, that's your department. That's your department. I'll, I'll leave all you know Midwest hate toward towards you. I'll, I'll leave that in your your wheelhouse. <laughs> uh, I'll stick to. I don't know. I'm trying to clean my act up. I don't know, but but what I will say is, and I get your thoughts. I think. What's interesting about the college football playoff, and I shared something with you before we got on the on the air today, is about the the SRS, and, I, and I'll get into it when we when we get there. But to me, I think they kind of told us a story of where they were going, I, more so based on that. But I'll just get some of your thoughts, Chris, on agree or agree with the list, who you like, you don't like in it, and everything in between. So, so here's my thing with, with college football. They have this wild stigmatism of just throwing teams in places that they just don't belong. Uh, and I'm going to start off with number three, Georgia. They do not belong at number three. I'm a very firm believer that in order to be the man, you have to beat the man. And last time I checked, Georgia is still undefeated. Uh, Georgia has a solid record this season. They have beat good teams. Uh, and most importantly, they're the defending national champions. Unless if I'm in some bizarro Earth 818 universe that I, I might be wrong. In, but, I mean, Georgia won last year, right? Uh, that, 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 that's, what I, that's what I read and saw. Okay, so you have a team that won last year that is still undefeated that somehow dropped to number three, and I, and, and I think that's absolutely asinine. Um, I believe that they should be number one, and I believe that uh, they, they have earned that spot and they should hold that spot until they catch a loss. If they catch a loss, then that's a whole different ballgame. Then, then they can fall down the, the, the hill. But as long as you are king of the hill, you are still at the top of the mountain. 
I believe that number two should be Tennessee. Tennessee has uh, a, definitely proven themselves this season. They beat a, a ranked and overly powerful Alabama to knock them out of the top four. So I definitely think that they deserve their spot at the number two position. Uh, in the excuse me, in the number three position, uh, I I really feel that Clemson should be in the number three position. They they have the same situation. They have put themselves out and they have continuously won, and they're the 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 keys to their kingdom. And then in number four, I believe Michigan should be in. Michigan has convincing wins against ranked opponents, which is something Ohio. The only ranked opponent Ohio State's played all season is a season opener against a continuously overhyped and overrated Notre Dame, which even then they struggled with that. Um, I, I I don't buy into the hype. You know, they, they call this the simple rating system. What they should call this is the Kirk Herbstreit Ohio State favoritism system yeah. because that's all it is at the end of the day. Last time I checked, Ohio State did not win their conference title last year. Michigan did. Michigan has wins over ranked opponents. So does Ohio State. But definitely I think that um, uh, Michigan has definitely shown uh, a propensity of, of a better quality wins against ranked teams this season. So I don't even know why Ohio State is even in this conversation, but they're in the conversation every year. They can go and play, lose their conference title, but still get a second place in, in the playoff system, get smoked, come back again and be ranked number two next year, get smoked again, and it's just a continuous phase. That, But it, I get it that they have a huge TV market, and and Kirk Herbstreit loves them, and Lee Corso loves them, and just the blatant blatant outright favoritism. If they were related, it would fall under nepotism. And the only person in the world that couldn't see it is Helen Keller, but even she could see it at this point. And they have no business being, I'm sorry, you cannot convince me otherwise on a statistical and logically backed argument. You look at the numbers and it proves itself time and time again why they don't belong to continuously be ranked so high. It's just like with Notre Dame. They get this hype offseason. Oh, they're, Notre Dame's going to win the national title. Let's just, let's just give it to them now. And then next thing you know, they're in the position they're in now. Now, Ohio State, yes, Ohio State is undefeated. Credit is given where credit is due. Now, if again, like we've discussed, you can't control your schedule. But at the end of the day, they opt not to play big season opener games. This year, I'll give it to them. They did step up and play Notre Dame instead of playing like Akron Community College or Cleveland Central High School or any of the other third programs that they play. But to me, it should be Georgia, Tennessee, Clemson, Michigan at the end of the day. Then on the outside, we can get – let's just – I'll be nice and I'll give Ohio State a fifth place and then Alabama at number six. I I was waiting for the Senator's time to be be done. I I didn't see a red light on my end that indicates, you know – the time was over. You know, what I will say is this, Chris. I'm I'm not going to dispute you on every point you made. I'm just going to pick on some key points. And the reason why I shared the simple rating system is to break it down for those who don't know what it is. It's, it's a rating that takes into account the average point differential 
and strength of schedule, and which is key. And what I've said on this show, and listen, I am far from an Ohio State defender. Far from it. But what I will say, when you look at the numbers, that the committee and everybody else in the country, it's, it's not confidential information. Their snooper rating system is first in the country. Now, would I agree with you that I think the I think based on the eye test, which I think is more of your point, because I, I if I'm not mistaken, I think more of your point is leaning on the eye test. And what we have to understand when these things, when these lists and things, you know, are, are created, it's the eye test and what the numbers tell you. So in this case, I can understand to me personally, I would have Georgia one. And, and the case I can make for that, Chris, is the SRS. They're second at SRS at 21.43. That's second in the country. And to your point, you know, even, even if you take away the point that they're, defend, they're, they're the defending national champions, Chris, if you just look at how many NFL guys they have in the league this season that were drafted, that's enough to tell you, like, oh, well, Georgia's in a rebuilding year. And some schools, and I think we've talked about this a while back, where some programs don't know what the word rebuild means. Like, it's in a dictionary, obviously. But when you, but if you lose so many players, it's just, hey, we got a bunch of new guys coming in. But I say that to say this, that's why I think I can make a case to Georgia to kind of leapfrog both Tennessee and Ohio State. Now, the debate, Chris, is, is that when you have Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan, all undefeated. Now the question becomes, and it was on the, the, the committee's question, was how do we look at the, – you're not questioning Tennessee or Georgia. You're not questioning Ohio State. But you're looking at Clemson versus Michigan. That's what I thought was interesting. They took Clemson over Michigan. You know, whatever the gap of the margin, whatever the margin is there. To me, Chris – when I look at, to me, I, I could make a case that you could swap Michigan for Clemson, but the only reason why you don't see that, and, and there's the gap, is when you look at, how can I phrase it? It goes back to what I talked about with Ohio State. It's the eye, I think that's where the eye test kicks in. Because like I've said many times before, a lot of these schools, Listen, they play, yeah, they play these cupcake schools because they feel that, okay, our conference is good enough. It's not so much out of fear. But this is what I always say, Chris, the one element of the SRS that I think Ohio State has taken taken advantage of is the point differential, if that makes any sense. So so we can, we can, I'm not going to debate you because you're right about the strength of schedule. I look, I would love to see. Power five schools go at it in non-conference. That would be the ideal dream if every power five school did that. But the reality is it just doesn't happen for some schools. So when you're a school like Ohio State, who knows going into the season, they're going to be a top three to five team in the country. Their goal is, Chris, to whoever they face, they got to blow them out of the water because, Chris, a 10-point win, yes, is a win. But 
the reality is a 10-point win for Ohio State, I could argue hinders them more than it helps them. So when they play these non-conference schools, they have to blow them out of the water because even they understand that if it's based on their strength of schedule, they're not getting in. Because if you look at it, Chris, I can make a case that a one-loss Alabama team is better than an undefeated Michigan team. I can make that case. Because we can't take yeah, – did Alabama look great against Texas A&M? No, they didn't. Did it look great against Tennessee? Obviously not because they lost. But it goes back to the fact that how tough their schedule is because it's the SEC. This is why I, I can make the case – this is why Alabama hangs around every year even with one loss. Not saying they don't they don't deserve it, but to your point about Ohio State, Ohio State sticks around because of the fact that we can say Kurt Herstreet, we can say Corso, we can say we we can we can go that route. But I go to the route of this: they understand that they they have to blow teams out of the water. They can't they can't be like, for example, like Tennessee or. Georgia, they know the margin of error for the SEC is not the same for the margin of error in the Big Ten. I don't know if you agree with me on that. The margin of error is completely different. And I'm and going back to finish my point about Ohio State. Look, I, I can I, I'll slip them to four, but I can't completely ignore because the question becomes: once again, I can make a case like for Clemson, Clemson. To me, T- TCU is not even being discussed in the conversation. Why? I, I'll tell you why. Because they play in the Big 12. What's the difference between a TCU team and the Clemson team who... Or an Ohio State team. All right. That's why I paused. Now, <laughs> but to the point, Chris, is that, look, I, I don't think we're going to disagree too much on Tennessee and Tennessee and Georgia. To me, you can have Ohio. To me, it's all subjective. You, it, it, it just depends on what you want. The, but at the end of the day, the committee. I look to me. I look at the strength. I look at the simple rating system because it takes a because it talks about two of the things I think are very important: strength of schedule and how much are you beating teams by. To me, I'm a. To me, I'm a little of the BCS guy, where it factored in: Are you blowing teams out of the water? Because if you're if you're a great team. If you're an elite, if you're supposed to be, you're supposed to, you know, if you're favored by 20, I want you to beat teams by 20. And we can say, oh, well, something, no, if you're supposed to be an elite program, beat, you can beat Akron Community College by 70. That's what you're supposed to do. But my overriding point is the margin of error for Ohio State, and they understand it. They got Chris. They have no other choice. They gotta beat teams by at least, I guess I'll say twenty to twenty-five, as opposed to an Alabama team or a Tennessee team who can squeak by and win by three. Because of the fact that even the committee is not going to admit it, they understand the SEC is better than the Big Ten from a top-down process. They no, the is is better than any of the conferences top yeah. down. Yeah, Our, everybody except for Vanderbilt, it, honestly, is competitive. 
Kentucky, Arkansas, Florida, uh, uh, Ole Miss, South Carolina. If if you took so so here and here's the thing. Here's my my, my I guess my counter to that argument is is it fair for a team to go play twelve games a season? And six of them are against teams that honestly shouldn't even be FCS teams or BCS teams. And then they get to be 11 and 1 or 12 and 0 and blowing people out of the water. Mm -hmm. Is it fair for a program like an LSU or an Alabama that they're playing, uh, they're playing ranked teams, let's say seven? Out of 12 weeks, they're playing a top 25 ranked opponent, and maybe they rack up a one two loss season. How is it fair to them that they're DQ'd and not even talked about when you have somebody that that's just be they're literally fighting on the minor league card and then expecting a title shot right out of the gate? And, and that that's like that's like with this this clown Jake Paul, this uh, the celebrity boxer. He's going out there fighting old, retired, washed-up uh, MMA and UFC fighters in boxing. And even in Conor McGregor in his prime as a two-belt-holding UFC world champion in two different weight divisions, fought an actual professional boxer in Floyd Mayweather, arguably the, be- the greatest boxer of our generation, and lost. Uh you know, and that's how I feel it is with teams like Ohio State that, you know, it, it's it's honestly, and you know, I, I feel like a kid when I say this, it's just not fair that they get to go play a bunch of low-quality teams and get to cakewalk in. You know, there needs to be some type of, of countermeasure or counterweight to that to maybe because if your schedule is so easy – Maybe you have to go in and win your conference title to even be qualified for uh, a playoff spot. And, you know, and then this is my other real wild theory, is maybe we need to look at these college football schedules, all of them, from the Pac-12 to the SEC and everything in the middle. Maybe we look at this 12-game schedule. We give them six conference games, five ranked games and then the rivalry game at the end of the season. Cause everybody enjoys that rivalry game. The, the, the army Navy, Florida, Florida state, uh, you know, Auburn, Alabama, you know, Washington, Oregon, everybody loves those, uh, those big rivalry games. So maybe you have six games to win your conference. Let's just say it. statistically there's, it should play out to where there's going to be somebody at the top. I don't think there's no way that everybody can go three and three, or if there is a three and three, then on those five ranked games that you play a ranked opponent. So maybe let's say uh, Alabama plays six games in the SEC and then five games outside, or maybe inside the SEC because the SEC traditionally has on average seven to nine ranked teams per week. Uh-huh. They play, and they maybe they stay in the SEC, but a team like uh, an Ohio State, an Oregon, a Michigan, a Clemson, let's pull them out and off those soft games, and, and then have them those five remaining games play uh, uh, an Alabama, a Tennessee, a Florida, uh, Michigan versus Oregon, uh, Oklahoma versus Ohio State. 
let's let's get that mix up. So this way, you you have six games to win your conference, and then you have your your five uh, hard game. We'll, we'll call them hard games, and then your one just for the hell of a rivalry game. That that that's just me. That you know maybe. Maybe I'm not on the committee. Maybe somebody hopefully will listen to this and I can become famous off of this. But I, I think that the system that we have right now is, is about as broken as as Social Security and the VA. Oh, it's my time. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Thank sorry. You. No, you're good. I hear what you're saying. But here's why I think what you're saying, while feet, how can I phrase it? While it makes sense, here's why it can't be a reality. As and, and it's two simple words: it's conference realignment. Because here's the reality, Chris. To your point, imagine what the SEC is going to look at look like in what two years? When you're, it, it's, it's going to look like. It's going to look like the TGIF Friday lineup when we grew up. Stacked. It's going to be stacked. Okay. You're going to have Alabama. You're going to have Georgia. And then Oklahoma will hopefully figure it out. Then you got Texas who's turning a corner, who's coming into the conference. The thing is, Chris, when we talk about, to your point, I want to see that. A lot of fans want to see that. But the problem is, and here, the problem is, is that when so many of these ranked teams are in the same conference, it makes it, it makes it, how can I phrase it? It's not, how, okay, I got it. Let's go to the Ohio State point. It's not on Ohio State and it's not on Michigan. The fact that they're, the, it's them and everybody else. And teams who come in ranked in the Big Ten preseason, like how, like Wisconsin was, Iowa, and, and all of a sudden the wheels on the bus just fall off. It just falls off. And then we're looking at like a, like a hypothetical 6-0 and Ohio State team facing a 2-4 and Wisconsin team. Like it, It's not on Ohio State because Wisconsin, their wheels fell off. And the reality is, Chris, the reason why I think that while the idea works is that we have so many great teams in one conference. And this is why the SEC has been a great conference for well over a decade, because we're seeing ranked te- – and not just ranked teams, Chris. We're seeing two top five teams go at it sometimes every year, i.e., we're going to get Tennessee and Georgia. And don't sleep on an Alabama Ole Miss, which I believe is this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So – we're going to get those games. And to me, I think what happens is, is that the Tennessee-Georgia thing, the only thing that's going to be figured out there is who's going to be number one. Because if Georgia beats Tennessee, you obviously have to put them number one because they beat the team that you had at the top of the college football playoff. So so now you're dealing now with a one. So and in a perfect world, Chris, your your ideal situation works. But the, the reality is, is that if we can get, it, it, to me, it's, it's just the conference, it's, it's, it's conference realignment. Is if everything was status quo, a case could be made, yeah, sure, it could work. But as, for the, as, as you can always listen, me and Chris always agree on everything on here. So 
<laughs> so, so speaking of things that we we agree on, there's some things we we might even more agree on. That's going to the NFL. And to me, I, I don't have a real lot of many talking points. All, my talking points is always on coaching. And there's one coach that I feel no one's talking about that I kind of low key feel we're giving a free pass to, and 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 I can explain it. And one team that really screwed the pooch on the trade deadline, and three teams who I think won the trade deadline. Those are my talking points. Because listen, well, why don't we start with that, man? Let's let's start with the the coach that uh, you, you sounds like you have under the hot seat. Under the hot seat, sure, absolutely. Thank you, Senator. Thank you. And they say bipartisanship can't work today. <laughs> we show them America. Now, it, it, Chris, my coach is Frank Reich for the Colts. I feel like he's been getting a pass. Here's why. Now, they fired er, Jim Irsay, fired the offense coordinator, Marcus Brady. And I understand that he's not doing great, Chris, but let, let, me, let, me, let me put on my reading glasses here. Now, Frank Reich took this job. He's in his fifth season. So he took this job back in 2018. Now, Chris, you know how many starting quarterbacks he's had since he's been head coach? Since 2018? Yeah. Well, everybody, if you can see me right now, I'm actually counting on my fingers, so bear with yeah, me here. Yeah, you, 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 you have to low-key count on your fingers. It's not a big number, but... You still have to I'm, I'm gonna say seven since 2018. Six. Okay, all right. Andrew Luck, his first season. Jacoby Brissett, his second season. Philip Rivers, his third season. Carson Wentz, last season, and now he had Matt Ryan start this season, and now he's starting Sam Ellinger. That's six quarterbacks in five seasons, Chris. But yet, yikes! Yet, what I don't understand is why are you firing the offensive coordinator when he's not even calling the plays? Your head coach is calling the plays, and people are like, "Oh, well, dude, for no, 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 no." This is not about the whole Matt Ryan thing. This is me being objective. Why is the coach? Why? Why is the? Why aren't the coach succeeding? It's because the quarterback position. Chris, they're one of the easiest divisions in football. All you got to do is get a competent quarterback. And you tell me Frank Wright has had five seasons, and he can't figure that out. And, and honestly, like, he he's had some quality people come through there. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> like... I mean, I get with Andrew Luck. Like Andrew Luck chose his own destiny right, and his yeah. and his family over his career. So uh, maybe Giselle might holler at him. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, I couldn't let that one out. Uh, you know, Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, you know what? He it's Jacoby Brissett. So I'll just leave it at that. Carson Wentz. You know what? The man made a glass uh, potential, not used properly, but potential. And Matt Ryan, arguably a, a future Hall of Famer, without a shadow of a doubt, um, nothing. I mean, and they have talent. They have arguably one of the best running backs in the league. They have great receivers. 
they had the talent around them. He just sucks at coaching. I mean, you know, we talk about Matt Rule. You know, Matt Rule caught the axe not even halfway through the season. And this guy is still, you know, this guy is like, I can't remember the guy that plays for the New York, uh, he played for the New York Mets. And this day he still gets like a million dollars a year. Oh, Bobby Bonilla? Yes, yes, yes. That That is this guy right now. He's being paid a massive amount of money for nothing. And the dude is just, I mean, he is Michelle Kwan skate champion, just skating along and still has a job at the end of the day. So, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, as Cat Williams says, player to player, pimp to pimp, hats off to you. But, I mean, he's got to go. Yeah. And, and to me, I don't hear his name talked about. Oh, well, dear. No, no. Here's why. Because entering this season, the Colts had high expectation. Okay. I had them winning the division. Exactly. So, so when, when people when people come and say, oh, look, the reality is this. We could talk about Josh McDaniels and whatever's going on for the Raiders. We could talk about Nathaniel Hackett in Denver, but we should be talking about Frank Reich because of the fact that he's been through so many quarterbacks. And, and we can we can argue Chris Ballard, the general manager. Should because listen, these moves aren't just being done by Frank Reich. And Chris Ballard hired Frank Reich. I keep making this same argument, people. Listen, as a Falcons fan, listen, Thomas Dimitrioff, he hired Dan Quinn. But Dimitrioff was there under a previous head coach. So you want to work it out. But the reality is I, I run to people's attention. Who's the consistent factor in the failure? And I look through what Dimitrioff has kept. He just skidded along in his job. He was able to hire a second coach. And... Boom. So you fire. So it's amazing to me, Chris, that when Frank Reich's name is not brought up, I don't get legitimate reasons why. All I say is that he's a good coach. Do good coaches go through six quarterbacks in five seasons? Not normally. I mean, when like as much as we like to dunk on when we, when we dunk on certain teams, like listen, we look at the New York Giants. I was told that Danny Daniel Jones was garbage, and all, and it's amazing. You hire the right coach. Who's out here five and two right now? It's amazing. Oh my God, Daniel Jones looks great. So that's my point. It's like Frank Reich has had essentially six opportunities to get it right and fail. But yet we don't talk about his job because oh the record's not bad. No, you're supposed to win this division, and you know who could end up winning this division? The Jacksonville Jaguars. Duval. And you got the Titans, who we thought, oh, they're gonna, they're gonna, oh, they're still in it. The only team in the division not in it is the Houston Texans. So it's amazing to me that we don't talk about Frank Wright. He's going through quarterbacks, and then okay, you dump Carson Wentz, you bring in Matt Ryan, and then from, from all that I read, like Matt Ryan would have been benched whether he was healthy or not. Why? At, at the end of the day, Frank Reich is trying to save his job. I'm not defending Matt Ryan's numbers, Chris, because you know people who know him, I'm a Falcons fan, and I love Matt Ryan. I'm not going to defend his number. I know his numbers are bad. But I also counterpoint is that 
Matt Ryan and Marcus Brady were the scapegoats for Frank Reich. Because at the end of the day, he's the constant between Matt Ryan and Marcus Brady. I just tell people, when you're looking to, to put blame on people in life, sometimes we point the finger at the wrong people because we don't look for the consistency. Consistency is not just looking for the success. It's also looking for the failure. Why do you think, listen, and I'll say this while I turn the floor over to you because I don't want to take up all the time here. When you look at, look how some teams have turned it around. What happened, all-time class example, when you look at the Giants and you look at the Seahawks, you, you look even look at your Jets. <laughs> what was the problem? For the Jets, they didn't have a competent head coach. You bring in a guy like Robert Sala, who also not only brings in a sense of structure, but he brought a new attitude to that team that hasn't been seen the Jets for a long, long time. So when people say, oh, why is this person? Oh, Robert Sala's turn with the Jets. Yeah, it's really amazing how that happens. Brian Dayball for the Giants, like I alluded to. Look at the Seahawks. I was told, and listen, I'll mail like like oh Pete Carroll's over the hill. No. Yeah, I'll go ahead and sample that apology letter. Yeah, me too. Because and guess what happened? Now the, the Seahawks are leading the NFC West. Folks, when you listen to that lets me know that maybe Russell Wilson was the problem. Maybe Russell Wilson was holding back the Seahawks. Broncos country, let's ride. Let's ride, Broncos country. Listen, riding with listen, listen. I will. I don't. I wouldn't run. I'm gonna use like a little green eggs and ham thing. I would not ride with Russell Wilson on a plane, a train. A Speaking of, did you hear? I, I don't, I'm gonna cut your Dr. Seuss off for a minute. But did you hear on the way out to London? It's like three o'clock in the morning, and this dude is doing knee highs. And yeah, then this, that's what I'm talking about on the plane. Yeah, like. <laughs> Dude, I'm, yeah. we're, we're going eight, bro. We're going. Sit you, sit down. If if you could successfully pop the hatch on more than likely, it's probably like a, a seven thirty seven eight hundred series, or maybe like an Airbus eight. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, like, uh, if you could successfully pop the hatch and throw somebody out and reseal it at thirty seven thousand feet, it would have happened. I think on that plane. Uh, once again, the internet and the memes did not fail. Yeah. Uh, it, it provides such quality and high level entertainment. So just, just no living end. Um, you know, another coach while we're talking about it, that I think we should have a discussion about, about maybe being a hot seat. And this is a guy that I, and it even hurts me to have this conversation mm-hmm. because I've always spoken so highly of him, but it's Todd Bowles. So, you know, you touched on the Jets having a situation. So we went from uh, Rex Ryan to Todd Bowles to Adam Gase and that mistake uh, to now Robert Sala. Um, I want to talk about the Todd Bowles generation real quick. So the Todd Bowles generation had Geno Smith as a quarterback. And Geno – didn't perform and he ended up getting the ax and found his way out the door. 
Um, and then has kind of bounced around the league on this backup carousel and now has his own starting job in Seattle. And this was the Geno Smith that I saw the first couple games of the uh, of, of his unveiling at the Jets where he's electric and, and making good decisions and good passes and, you know, winning ball games. Um, you know, and now the reason why I want to bring up Todd Bowles is – Let's look at the current situation in the State of the Union in Tampa Bay. Now, I know that, you know, the hottest topic in, in all of, of football right now isn't the playoffs, isn't the scores. It is literally Tom Brady's personal life with Giselle. But if, if you would have told me that by week nine, the Bucks would be three, going into week nine, that the Bucks would be three and five, I might have checked you into the funny farm, to be honest with you. Now, uh, I have a question before you continue. Now, who's leading that division? Uh, that is the Dirty Birds, the Atlanta Falcons. Thank you. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> Senator. I want to get that in. Uh, continue. Um, you know, the Bucs right now are on a three-game losing streak um, against games that they should have on. Excuse me, that they should have won. Hands down, no questions asked. They they easily. Easily should have beat uh, the Panthers and said that was the complete opposite. I really think that they should have beaten the Steelers without question because the quarterback for the New York Giants has more rushing yards than the starting running back for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Huh. Um, you know, th- there were some questionable, you know, losses. Uh, I think the the Green Bay one was a little uh, a, a little odd. Uh, and then even and not to pick on your Falcons, that should have been a game, and, and I think you'll agree with me, that should have been a game Tampa Bay shouldn't have had a problem with. They should be sitting at a 6-2, a, a and 7-1 and one going, you know, and then playing the, the Rams this week. Um, and you know, so if you look at their schedule right now, so you've got the Rams at home, the, uh, the Seahawks at home, they go to the Cleveland to play the Browns, come back home to play the Saints, go out to San Fran to play the 49ers, then the Bengals, and then the Cardinals. In uh, all honesty, the way that they're playing, I don't know if they can win another game. I mean, the way, the Rams, are, I think, are the only team that's up in the air right now that they could beat. I, I, you know, here's the thing. I think they could beat all of them if – if something gets figured out, but you know, the Seahawks are flying high, the Browns, you know, they'll do Cleveland things. They could play great one week and then absolute trash the next week. The saints, I think are up and coming. The 49ers, I think last week established that they're, they're a team to not mess with. Uh, you know, the Bengals are no slouch. And then the Cardinals, depending is, I think by that time, uh, you know, what's his face there? Uh, Kyler Murray will play enough call of duty to kind of satisfy his, 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 his bill to uh, go back out and play football. But, you know, you, you, you look at the schedule and you wonder what the issue is. And I'm starting to really look at Todd Bowles. I, I believe that Todd Bowles is not a head coach. I think that he is a great defensive coordinator, and I don't think anybody will ever argue that point. Mm-hmm. I just don't know if he's head coaching material based on the, the state of the union that the Jets were in when he was in, in office and now the state of union of the Tampa Bay Bucks now that he is in office. 
Sometimes if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you're led to believe it's a duck. Well, as as WWE two-time Hall of Fame would say, shucky ducky quack quack. So, <laughs> so, and I'll say this before I make another point. I think I brought this point up uh, either last week or two shows ago. I'm not quite sure. But I talked about their offense in terms of Tampa Bay. And what happens, Chris, is that sometimes chickens can come home to roost. In this in this situation, you can be great and get away with things for so long until it comes back at you. And what we're seeing this season with Tampa Bay is that when you neglect the run game, for you can get away with it for so long. Like, heck, even like even great passing offenses like the Chiefs and the Bills, Chris, they're trying to run the ball more. With Tampa Bay, they're not even trying, Chris. How do I know that? The numbers tell me that. When yeah. I watch the game, it tells me that. Because, and, and, and Chris, this doesn't just happen this year. Look at the year the year they won the Super Bowl. They were at the bottom or near the bottom of the league in both rushing attempts and rushing yards. And you brought up stats from games where they Chris they couldn't rush the ball for twenty yards. Yeah. And so, then their running back has almost as many reception yards as their their considered WR one does. Exactly. So and, and that to me, hey, hey, that's hey, good news. Hey, our running back is versatile. The bad news is that he just equals to our receiver. That's it, it, it's a hit and miss there. So I, I think I, I I see your point about Todd Bowles. I think what has to happen, Chris, is that. Like I said, this problem just didn't happen overnight. I think the problem is that when you when you neglect something for so long, at some point, the reality is it's going to come back and hit you in the face. So now we're here with Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator, has basically had has he essentially kind of handed the offense to Tom Brady, and Tom Brady is not going to want to hand the ball off 20, 25 times a game. He wants to sling it. And the problem with that is, Chris, is that what you look at the games they lost. They didn't they didn't get blown out of the water. They lost in some cases one possession games. Because what happens is that we on first down, Chris, you throw the ball, you get incompletion. Now second and ten. You run it, you get three yards. Now you're in a kind of a third and long situation. Yep, and you're just forced to pass it. Exactly. So what happens is, is that I could argue play calling. I could argue as far as Todd Bowles, I think, as you know, and I'm, I'm very high on Todd Bowles, don't get me wrong, but I think Todd Bowles fits in the same kind of category as Josh McDaniels. Great coordinators. Just not coaches. Not coaches. And there's no disrespect to their body of work, to be clear. It's just the fact of the matter is, is that Todd Bowles is a good dude. And at some point, somebody's going to, just like the situation in Indianapolis, who's who's going to be the scapegoat in Tampa Bay if this continues to go south? That's the question. Because now, because we saw Indianapolis, they don't want to fire their head coach. They don't want to fire their general manager. We could just fire the offensive coordinator, even though he never he's never called plays. So I tell people to leave it there. 
and and if you and I just do want to say two more things before we go to fantasy, if you don't mind, Senator. No, um, no, no. There's a couple other things I wanted to touch on too before we uh, before we jolt to fantasy. Yeah. And so, so uh, what I will say is this: I want to talk about the trade deadline is coming on, and I think when I look at the Miami Dolphins, the Miami Dolphins remember they had those three first round picks. Remember in that deal that Samson ended up trading up to get Trey Lance. Yeah. So here's what essentially essentially what the Tampa, you know, excuse me, what the Dolphins did. They flipped those three picks and they got Tyreek Hill. They trade one of those first round picks to Kansas City. They went and drafted Jalen Waddle. And then they traded the that extra pick from the that San Francisco pick to get Bradley Chubb, one of the better young defensive players in the league. So I, I think you kind of win because sometimes draft picks are just they're great assets when used properly and getting the right value. And, I, and it looks I think the Broncos win because hey, this season it looks over. So why not get a first round pick that you gave up in that Seattle deal to get Russell Wilson? So now you're back in the first round in 2023 because you're going to need help everywhere. Maybe outside of quarterback. Heck, you might need help there too. I don't know. I'm not another doc. But I think, and lastly, the Eagles. Chris, I don't know how the how the great get even greater, but they went and got Robert Quinn, a great a great a great edge rusher. To a defense that's already top three, that's what aggressive teams do. Hey, are you look at the 49ers with Chris McCaffrey? When you make deals like that, Chris, that means you're trying not to win two years from now, you're trying to win now. Yeah, and San Francisco, just like with Philly, they look at the landscape and like, hey, we got a shot, you know. Uh, with Philly, you know, the scary thing is that you, you've got. Uh, you've got the Phillies in the World Series right now that could very easily win it. And then you've got the Eagles flying so high that they can make it. If both of those teams win their respective titles. I don't want to be in that city. That, that, that city will look like a nuclear – it will look like Hiroshima after it's all said and done. And listen, I know people from Philly. I love the people of Philly. Y'all are but- – no, y'all need to chill that shit out. Be real, real talk. Y'all need to chill, man. They literally got to grease the poles. Y'all got to stop shitting in the street and climbing street poles. Act civilized, Philadelphia. You can do it. You're the city of brotherly love, not stupidity. Listen, it's the same city. Listen, a lot of historical, historical city, historical city. But and then you know the the talk on Christian McCaffrey. You know, so I was talking to a bunch of people that are like, oh, him going to San Fran is a stupid idea, and they're, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, and da-da-da-da. Now, riddle me this, Batman. The dude in his first full official game to have a chance to look at the playbook hits a hat trick. Tell me how many running backs in their career have ever hit a hat trick, let alone on a trade to the first full week of practice and full game time play. To, to rush for a touchdown, catch a touchdown, and then throw for a touchdown. Now, hats off. First and foremost, hats off to CMC, and I love you, and I thank you because I once again got the clean sweep in fantasy because of you and your monstrous point strategy. And everyone's like, well, don't for Cupid CMC. You're screwing yourself. And I said, okay. And I'm, I'm very secure 
in the lead right now. So I'll just leave it at that. Um, but, you know, like you said, these teams are going out and trying to win. The 49ers are making conscious efforts to go out and, and, and try to get that Western division. Uh, the Eagles are trying to secure their, their spot in line because, you know, the path for the NFC East might be a little challenging with the Giants. You know, it may not be that, that walk in the park that, that we expected. Yeah. Um, you know, another team that's in disarray is, is the Green Bay Packers. Ah, that's um, what I was going to talk about. Mind you know, I, I think that Green Bay is they, – they are in dire straits with the situation at hand with, with, with Aaron Rodgers. I told you this, the man wanted to get paid, and now that he's paid, he does not care. He he could quit today and go just go go do Jeopardy and, and not and not even lose an ounce of sleep over it. And I keep seeing this um this little snippet clip of, of CM Punk. And I, I think I've even shared it to you on mm-hmm. on Instagram. And he's sitting there like backstage and he's talking and he's beat the hell and he is just like I'm fucking tired and I'm old and I work with a bunch of kids and I hate it and it sucks. And like, and CM Punk honestly kind of looks like Aaron Rodgers. To, to, yeah. The first time I watched it, like if they didn't have the AEW wrestling logo in the background, I would have thought that was an Aaron Rodgers like hot mic or something. Yeah. you. <laughs> I, I, I honestly would have been like, that's a hot mic for sure. Um, but point being is that Green Bay is in disarray. They need to figure themselves out. The other team that needs to figure themselves out is the Baltimore Ravens. Now, granted, the Ravens right now are five and three. They are, you know, happily just doing their thing. But they are struggling at five and three. They are outright struggling at five and three. Um, and on all based on the moves they're making and the trades they're making, they can't be upset at the end of the season when Lamar Jackson throws them his jersey and says, Peace out, A Town down, and moves himself to another place in the NFL. Um I I think they've shown that they are not willing to commit to him and they are not willing to surround him with talent. And the games that they have won, defense has helped out a lot. Or he's had to throw it on his back and just make miracles happen. And you can only do that so many times. Um, so don't be surprised if you see Lamar Jackson in another color besides purple next season. Uh, and then the other touching point I, I wanted to kind of graze over um, was the Patriots and Jets game. Uh, you know, even with the absence of, of Brees Hall, I think that we lost 22 17. That's a fairly decent. I'm okay. It's not. It wasn't a blowout. It wasn't just an outright slobber knocker, as good old Jim Ross would call it. It was an acceptable loss, except for the fact that Zach Wilson threw three interceptions. Um, I've I've talked about this a bunch of times, and is as great as a game. So you look at Zach's numbers. He threw for 355 yards and two touchdowns, but three interceptions, and. That speed, those three interceptions, interceptions typically turn into points. So let's just say that all three of those interceptions turn into points. That's 21 points. So maybe this, I mean, the score naturally can't be 17 to one, but you kind of see where I'm going with this. And, and it's just, it's bad playing to, to do that type of, uh, of situation there. 
Um, you know, you had Braxton Berrios that didn't get one look the entire game. That's usually one of his go-to guys he can do dump passes to. You look at the rushing game, and again, with the absence of Brees Hall, I know that does play a crucial role. Um, and this is James Robinson's first week. But, you know, combined rushing yards, I mean, on a quick math, it looks like less than 50 rushing yards between one, two, three, four different rushers, between Michael Carter, James Robinson, Ty Johnson, and Zach Wilson. And they only had uh, 10, 15 carries total. You, you can't win games with, with, with 15 rushing attempts at 50 yards. It just or give or take 50 yards. I'm not going to sit here and do the math, but you, you've got to you've got to play smarter. You've got to play better. And, and I get as a rookie quarterback, and I don't even want to call him rookie. He's 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 two years in. He's still young. But if you're going to want to win games, you can't throw three picks at the end of the day. But the other games were pretty solid. Uh, turn around around the horn. Um, I don't know uh, where I'm sitting pick-wise with you, but um, I feel like I probably had a pretty solid week on uh, uh, on win-losses. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, no. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> there was a lot of good games, uh, nonetheless. So you know, hats off to them, uh, and we will we will see what goes on into uh, into week nine. And, and and to your point, before we head to fantasy, I wanted to say about the Green Bay Packers for a team that I was told were contenders didn't make one single move at the deadline, not a one. And we saw a receiver, we saw Chase Claypool go to. Chicago of all places. So we've seen receivers that could have been viable options. Even Elijah Moore for your team, a, a team that doesn't want to use him, he's still there. I, I hey, he's still getting a check. Hey, hey, hey. As Bobby Brown said, hey, I guess you know, hey, that's my prerogative on it. So, but speaking of prerogative, it's speaking of players not being used. Chris, we talked about how great you were in fantasy. Golf <laughs> Golf clap. And as far as the standings go for going to fantasy, you were 10 and 5. I was 9 and 6. Because we always split on at least two games. I, I've noticed that's the trend amongst us. Yeah. So w- when we lose together, great. When we win together, great. When we go against each other, the two Not games so that the two games I differed on you, you won, so that gave you the edge. Okay. So, okay. so now you close the gap to, to four games. So little so by little, man. Gonna pull out the putter and make those small shots. Now, no, I, now I guess I got I got to pull out my driver. I was just using my my three wood. Now I got to pull out my driver now. But sir, no, we're just skipping to the driver. That's what we're doing now. I got I got to start hitting the fairway. I can't I can't I can't play this game with Chris. He's too good. <laughs> <laughs> but but speaking of games that he's good, let's talk about fantasy real quick. Uh, interesting week in fantasy. I think we saw. We saw some players come to life. We saw some. We saw a couple of players kind of fall short, and we're getting to that time of year as we talked about last episode about trade deadlines and players and things of that nature. So, Chris, uh, give a rundown for Week Nine, fantasy of the National Football League. You know, so Week Nine, um, it's it's getting that time where trade deadlines are starting to hit. Um, you, you are going to see it more and more, uh, as, as things make their way forward, I guess, I guess, um, 
So at this point in the game, um, you are going to have to figure out what and how, what you're going to do. So, you know, you're going to have some good trades, bad trades. You're going to have to figure out where you're sitting in your division. Is it even worth trying to climb out? Uh, there, there's just a lot of questions that you're going to have to answer. Um, that you, that, that I cannot, you know, um, we've talked about this before at this point, if you're, a uh, three wins or less, probably hang it up, prepare for next season. Uh, start assessing your team. If it's, you're in a one keeper league, two keeper league, assess your crown jewels, build off them and then abandon ship on everybody else. If you are in a situation where you're in a dynasty league and you're, you know, that's a little bit harder because now you've got to start rolling the dice. You want to get rid of maybe someone that didn't perform to get somebody better. Uh, and then you got to worry about injuries and, and all those other fun things. But, you know, so going into week nine, I think you know where you stand as far as uh, a, a safety net where you can drop a couple games, um, a surefire, you've got to win every game to make the playoffs or help me Tom Cruise and Oprah Winfrey I'm on fire and uh an abandoned ship. Um moving in uh you know I'll do I'll do the technical rundown your starters for quarterback, running back, wideouts and tight ends, your strongs, your weaks, your uh DraftKings and those guys. So here's what I got for you. So naturally your your must starts your Jalen Hurts. Uh this is for quarterbacks of course. Your Jalen Hurts, your Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. You should know these guys by now. Uh you know, so some of your stronger stars. So first and foremost, one of your stronger stars is going to be Kirk Cousins for the Minnesota Vikings. They're playing the Washington at Washington uh, Commanders this week. Uh, number one, this is going to be a little bit of a revenge game for him. Number two, uh, it's going to be a comfortable road win and against an absolutely terrible pass defense. So you're going to have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson just lining up a ton of yards. And same thing with Kirk Cousins. Uh, I feel that uh, Tua Tungabaloa uh, from the Miami Dolphins at Chicago this week, um, same situation, uh, decent coverage at best from Chicago, uh, in high volume in Chicago. Um, and then when, when Jalen Waddle and, uh, and Tyreek Hill, I think they're like the number one receiver duo ever for, for yards per game thus far. Um and that's even with little Tua having his bell rung for a couple games. Um, I feel like that Trevor Lawrence from the Jacksonville Jaguars um, are, is going to have another strong game against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, the Raiders have a tendency to give up multiple touchdowns to quarterbacks. Uh, I guess essentially their job to give them. So I think that uh, this is going to play very well into Trevor Lawrence's skill set as both a runner and a passer. So I think he's going to have a good game. Uh, you know, another one that's at the top of the of the food chain is Geno Smith with the Seattle Seahawks uh, at Arizona. As long as DK Metcalf stays healthy, he can play like he did last week. Um, I think you're going to be in a climate-controlled situation. You're not going to have Seattle win. You're not going to have Seattle cold. You're going to be in a nice air-conditioned building dropped in the middle of the desert. I think this is going to be a very favorable uh, road win for him. But uh, Between DK Metcalf and, and, and Tyler Lockett, I think that he's going to be okay. Uh, I got Marcus Mariota on here uh, for the Falcons as a strong starter. I think this is probably the first time I can I've set him up uh, on a strong start. So they're playing the Los Angeles Chargers. 
I think that he's going to run very well against this matchup and hit a few more big shot plays. Uh, the keep stamping his value is another surprise QB one uh, or, or if you're in a QB two league and you, you can get a, a second quarterback. Uh, if you've got a high volume guy like a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, a Marcus Mariota would be a very good compliment to that because of his run. Uh, the chargers have a difficult time containing quarterbacks. And then on top of that, uh, with with players starting to get healthy and coming back in the steam and kind of finding their spot. I think Marcus Mariota is going to have himself a good one. Um, as your DFS DraftKings, uh, you know, FanDuel types, uh, I think that Justin Fields and Taylor Henneke are going to be uh, ideal. If, if you need a quarterback for a cheap price, that's going to give you a good high upside. Both of these guys will do it. You should be able to get them both for less than 5,300. Um, you know, Taylor Henneke, he's definitely awakened the receiving court for the Washington Redskins, or excuse me, the Washington Commanders. Uh, and I think he'll be able to do a little something, something with his legs. Justin Fields, he's just an elusive little guy. Uh, so I think it's the same situation. He's going to be able to push really hard there. Uh, some of your weaker starts. So I've got Jared Goff against, uh, from the Detroit Lions going against Green Bay. He just hasn't been proving himself as a consistent QB one in this conversation. And the one thing that the Packers are doing well is a pass defense. So I think that that's going to be a situation. Um, Ryan Tannehill from the Tennessee Titans at Kansas City. Um, he should play this week over Malik Willis, but it's a low volume trap and a hostile road environment in Arrowhead at, in Kansas City. That's a rough place to play in, even if you're at 100% health. And depending on the situation with his ankle, if he does return to play, if he doesn't and, and Malik Willis does play, I think that's an absolutely terrible uh, game for him as well. Uh, I got Andy Dalton uh, from the New Orleans Saints uh, against Baltimore. If you're in a situation where you need to stream a quarterback, you're on a bye week, or maybe your guy's injured, um, and he's your only option, well, good luck. But uh, the Ravens are going to have a much tougher defense than what he did last week against Arizona. So keep your eyeballs open on that one. Um, you know, with Tom Brady, Tom Brady's a, a, a – I call him a – it's a risk-reward factor. So it's tempting to play him. Uh, because of his success in high volume passing, but you're also going to have him passing against Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey with Chris Godwin and Mike Evans at flank. Uh, I think that's just going to be a dogfight between the between those boys. Uh, on the opposite side of the ball, just because Tampa Bay's defense has been stepping up to the plate, Matthew Stafford with the Rams going against Tampa's defense, he's going to need to get some touchdowns quick, fast, and in a hurry um, because LA's line isn't holding up as well. And with the uh, receiving core depletion of everybody being hurt, I think that might hurt his overall pass numbers. So I think he's not going to be as strong of a, uh, of a star. Moving on to running backs, some of your, your go-tos, your Derek Henry's, your Austin Eckler's, Josh Jacobs, Alvin Kamara's. If you don't know him by now, go ahead and get yourself out of the league and stop listening. Uh, some of your stronger starts, I think, are going to be A.J. Dillon from the Green Bay Packers. Uh, I think that he's definitely going to have an outright pounding running game. Uh, I think he'll, he'll, he'll definitely hold his own there. Uh, Raheem Mostert from the Miami Dolphins against Chicago. I think he should be motivated to run better against another easy defense uh, with, with Chicago. So I think he's going to have himself a, uh, a good situation there. Tyler Algier from the uh, Atlanta Falcons going against the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers are just shaky against the run. They have been all season. Uh, and I think that he's going to have a lot of, uh, of, action, uh, of action. Just make sure to keep a monitor on Cordell Patterson's injury status. 
Uh, he is eligible to return this week from that knee injury. So if, if Cordell does not play, uh, I think Tyler will be a, a much better option for you. Uh, Kenyon Drake uh, from the Baltimore Ravens. I think that if uh, Gus Edwards stays out of this game due to injury, I think Drake is going to definitely get feature like red hot touches, especially when they get towards the uh, red zone. And the fact that there's just not a lot of other options for uh, Lamar Jackson besides himself. Um, some of your DFS FanDuel DraftKings, those guys. Um, I've got Travis Entian Jr. from the Jaguars. Uh, I think that based based on the success that Alvin Kamara had last week uh, against the, the, the Raiders, I think that you're going to see NTN have the same situation. Uh, Kenneth Walker III from the Seahawks, same situation. Uh, given his upside, uh, both of these guys you can get up for 7,600 and under. Uh, so I think you're definitely going to have some situations there. Some of your weaker starts um, are going to be uh, Devin Singletary uh, from the Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets. Um, number one, the Jets have been absolutely hammering on defense, and especially against run defense that they've been doing really well. And then also, uh, like we talked about, there's just teams that pass more than run more. Uh, even though the Bills are trying, I think that Bills might resort to that air raid type offense because they know the defensive strategy of the New York Jets. So if they try to go to a run-heavy offense at first and they end up coughing the ball up or, or they go three and out and they, they do it early and shallow, and that gives the ball for the Jets to have a, a favorable uh, area of attack, it's not going to look so well. So I think that he's going to be a weaker start. Uh, CEH from the Chiefs going against Tennessee. One thing Tennessee has been stable on is the run, and in, uh, I think that the same situation – I think that the Chiefs are going to still stay going on a pass-hard offense because of Tennessee's weaker secondary. Um, Brian Robinson Jr. from the Commanders, uh, is, as cool as he is and as awesome as the story it is, going against Minnesota this week, I just don't think it's going to happen against the Vikings defense, uh, plain and simple. Uh, Caleb Huntley from the Falcons, same situation. This is tempting, but with unpredictable usage, if you have him, and he's your only option, good luck. But if you have other options, I would check the wire, maybe make a trade if it's not too late, and try to go from there. Uh, your wide receiver must starts, uh, your Justin Jefferson's, Cooper Cups, Stephon Diggs, Tyree Kill, those guys, you should know them by now. So your stronger starts. Uh, so I've got one guy that's been on the fantasy radar uh, that I've been really, really hyping on, and I think even my opponents have, have seen it firsthand. Cough, cough, Ladarius cough, uh, is Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, this is a fantastic matchup. And probably the most reliable receiver in Kansas City right now. If you look statistically at his scores versus Hardman or any of the other boys out there, um, Juju is throwing some outright points on the board. Uh, so I think that this is going to be a, a good game for Schuster. Um, and he's definitely going to end. And the Chiefs are just going to have a field day with Tennessee's uh, lackluster pass defense. Uh, Adam Thielen uh, from the Minnesota Vikings against the Washington Commanders. So a big trade that happened was TJ Hokinson uh, being added to the Vikings. That is a crucial piece that uh, that that Minnesota has been missing since the departure of uh, of Rudolph. So you're going to have now defenses are not only going to have to pay attention to Justin Jefferson out far and distant. You've got Adam Thielen running those mid routes, and now you've got uh, Dalvin Cook and then TJ Hokinson on those little short cross or slants. And Hokinson's got a set of hands on him. Statistically in fantasy, uh, TJ Hokinson has been a top five uh, tight end throughout his career at Detroit. 
again, at Detroit, let those words sink in. Now he has a much more competent team in Washington. So, but we'll talk more about him later. But Adam Thielen's definitely going to have a nice game because now those middle linebackers, outside linebackers are going to pull forward and try to cover TJ Hokinson, which is going to open that middle field up. So now that free safety, strong safety is going to have to commit to double coverage on Justin Jefferson or healthy baby Jesus and, and cover Adam Thielen. Uh, Curtis Samuel uh, on the other side of the ball from the Washington Commanders. Um, I think between he's going to get uh, a, a great volume with Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel has really woken up and arisen to his role in Washington's offensive scheme. And I think Riverboat Ron is absolutely using that man to his downright potential. Uh, I finally think that Allen Robinson is going to have uh, a, a good game from the LA Rams. He's getting way more comfortable and, and he, they're just not covering him. There have been a lot of plays that he's gotten some good passing yards on, some good receptions on, that he is just essentially wide open because everyone else is so focused on the rest of, of the Rams' offense. So I definitely think that he's going to have a great game. Uh, I got the, uh, Darnell Mooney from the Chicago Bears. Mooney over Miami, I uh, definitely think he will. I think he's definitely going to have a big play touchdown. Miami does tend to give up a few of those from time to time. So I think that Mooney's going to be the recipient of that target. Um, your DFS, FanDuel, DraftKings, those guys, uh, DK Metcalf, uh, Terry McLaurin, uh, Christian Kirk, you can be able to get all those guys under $7,500. Um, I think that you're going to have DK Metcalf in single coverage against Arizona. I don't even know a player that's as big as DK Metcalf and is athletic. Um, besides like Gronkowski, but Gronk's not even in the league anymore. So I think DK Metcalf is like the new Megatron super Captain America, man. Uh, he's big, he's fast, and he's just honestly funny, and I like watching him play. Um, I think that uh, Terry McLaurin, he can put up uh, the D-hop line from last week with similar volume. I think just because Minnesota's games always end up tending to a shootout because their defense isn't that strong. So I think McLaurin is going to be able to get a lot of receptions and a lot of looks and a lot, a lot of yards. Uh, same thing with Christian Kirk. Uh, you, you got you, – I don't think Las Vegas has anybody to stop Christian Kirk in the slot to be just, just to be dead honest. I think, and I expect him, I've got him actually on the, the strong start and then also the, the DFS DraftKings board, mainly because Christian Kirk is that unlooked guy that you can always buy for stupid, stupid cheap. Um, some of your weaker starts this week, I literally have the entire receiving core for the Indianapolis Colts. Um, number one, you're facing Bill Belichick and two, well, it's the Colts, and we already discussed the problems that they have there. Um, I think that Garrett Wilson is going to have a weaker game. As much as I love the Jets, and I love what Garrett Wilson has done so far, this is going to be an incredibly tough game for the Jets, number one. Number two, this is going to be a very brutal matchup for Zach Wilson. Coming off of a bad game where he threw three interceptions, uh, I don't know how that's going to work itself out. So if you have Garrett Wilson, if you need to stream him or you need to put him in a flex position, do it at your own risk. Uh, Hunter Renfro going against Jacksonville. Uh, this is the big Ren. No, <laughs> see like Reno because that's in Vegas or in, in Nevada as well. Uh, I, I think that's going to be a, a hard pass because Jacksonville's defense is going to definitely contain him. Uh, and then uh, Terrence Marshall Jr. from the Panthers going against Cincinnati. I like the guy. He did well last week, but he's got a significantly harder matchup against the Bengals. Um, your your go-to guys for tight ends, your Travis Kelsey's, uh, your Zach Hurts, Dallas Goddard, Kyle Pitts, Mark Andrews, if he plays, um, that's a scary situation is, is that we don't know. He's, he's pretty banged up right now. 
Um, some of your stronger starts, though, are going to be uh, Evan Inger from the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's red hot, and the Raiders cannot cover this position at all. So you should be able to have a field day with that. Uh, Tyler Higby uh, for the Rams, if he plays at Tampa Bay. Um, I think that with Cooper Cup being down and out because of an ankle situation, Tyler Higby is going to fill that role. Uh, Cole Komet from the Chicago Bears at Miami. Uh, you know, you're going to be able to get some points with him. Miami doesn't cover tight ends well. I've definitely talked about that on more than one occasion. Um, Hunter Henry from the uh, New England Patriots, mainly just because they're playing the Colts. And again, they have an absolutely terrible uh, situation there at, at tight end coverage. Uh, your DFS, FanDuel, DraftKings, those guys. Uh, Zach Ertz, you should be able to buy him for like 6600 and under. Uh, this is an ideal workup uh, right now, so you should be able to buy him and get him cheap. And against uh, the Seattle defense, that's one position that they also have a, a situation where they're going to uh, have, a, have a run in with. Um, some of your weaker stars, Taysom Hill, the New Orleans Saints, going against Baltimore. Um Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, I think, are definitely going to make sure that Hill does not get the ball. And if he does, they're going to just make sure that he regrets catching that ball. Uh, Hayden Hurd, Bengals going against Carolina. By the numbers, uh, this is bad, even though that Kyle Pitts did have success against Carolina last week. However, Atlanta does one thing well in defense, and that is covering uh, uh, tight ends. Um, Dawson Knox from the Buffalo Bills playing against the New York Jets. He's not going to get a TD this week. The Jets have shut down tight ends for the most part, so don't expect a, a, a solid playoff from them. Mike Jacecki from the Miami Dolphins, same situation. I don't think he's going to see the end zone at all just due to the fact of Chicago's tight defense on that early front, the mid-linebackers, the outside linebackers. They have definitely con contained uh, some, some tight ends there. TJ Hokinson, even though I just was ranting and raving about him a couple minutes ago, I think until he gets – the, the playbook under under his his thumb. I think he's going to be used, but I don't see him getting the end zone unless if it's like some freaking nature play. Um, he, you know, he was essentially being solely used in in Detroit, um, and because that's the only real option they had. There's multiple options in in Minnesota right now, and I think it's going to be the same situation like Christian McCaffrey two weeks ago. You're just going to get in. He's going to get some plays. You're going to see him in that purple jersey but you're not going to see him do a lot. Then maybe next week he'll come out. And I'm not going to say he's going to go out and go have a hat trick like Christian McCaffrey did, but I definitely think there's going to be some excitement there with TJ Hokinson. Also, too, the one thing that the, the Washington Commanders do do well is cover tight ends relative to wideouts. So even if even if he did have this playbook under lock and key, it's still not going to be as a successful game for him just due to the fact of, of the, the Washington defensive strategy. And honestly, if you look over time, Riverboat Ron, as a coach, he has kept tight ends in check no matter where he's been. Um, so, you know, that that's my start. I'm setting for week nine. So, as always, good luck to everybody, except if you play me, then I hate you. But I'll love you next week. Just let me get that dub. Let me try to get back to the playoffs where I belong. And uh, I'm just going to continue to ride out. So, Broncos country, let's ride. <laughs> I can't stop doing it. I hate myself. Yeah. I, I, you know <sighs> – the look of disgust. If y'all can see this right now, the look of disgust on Ladarius' face, it's it's worth it's worth its weight in gold, man. It's worth it. I don't know what the value of gold is currently right now, but if my face is worth the gold, I'm telling you to buy in now. Uh, just just quickly before once again, solid, solid advice as always before we go. 
like listen like listen subscribe to this episode every episode of Sports on the World Podcast. Follow me on social at Ladders underscore Brown on both Twitter and TikTok, Instagram at Ladders underscore Brown. Check out my Thursday night football preview between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Houston Texans on the social media. Follow Chris at his Christogram and MMA Twitter pending possible real Twitter for Chris. So, I, you know, I should. I'm going to cut you off there. I should have uh, an official Twitter by next week. I think I'm going to cave it and make one now that King Elon has taken over the throne and has has ousted the uh, the evil empire of the uh, of the control handles of Twitter. Um, I think at this point, I'm just going to go on there and have some fun and see what kind of carnage that I can wreak havoc on. Because I heard Twitter does not have a jail, unlike Facebook. So, I should be free to do what I do. Yeah, <laughs> there's a first time for everything, and and, and and let's see how let's see how he rides there. I had to end the show on the let's ride. Well, folks, <laughs> until you hear us again next time, I'm the Darius. I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed, and be safe from all of us here from the sports and the world podcast. See ya.